Thank you. Uh, good evening. Um, talking about the, the future of human rights in Sudan often feels like uh, engaging in, in wishful thinking or sharing distant dreams. But this year is actually the first time in a long time that at least one of uh, these dreams have come true. And from a human rights perspective, uh, the referendum is, is cause for celebration. Uh, and I think it is, uh, it is good to save at this moment. Uh, John has al already uh, uh, mentioned that, and I will echo this point and a number of other points, uh, inevitably because there is some overlap, but I'll try to uh, put a somewhat different emphasis on, on some of the points she already raised. So, from a human rights perspective, this is a very rare occasion of the exercise of the right to self-determination. And obviously there are many examples from all around the world where, where such, uh, uh, the exercise of such a right has been denied, such as in, in Western Sahara, just to, to mention one of the most glaring ones. But then, of course, there, there's a number of clouds uh, overshadowing, if you like, the celebrations. And there are the more immediate concerns, some of which we uh, have already discussed about the recognition of the outcome of, of the referendum, but also the status and fate of the transitional areas such as ABA and uh, uh, the Numa markets. Uh, what, is, what is important, I think that is also something that has already been mentioned, is that uh, the coming true of one uh, uh, dream has arguably also been at the expense of another dream. And that was the, the, the dream uh, that was encapsulated in the democratic transformation, at least how civil society actors understood it at the time, to have uh, a pluralistic and democratic Sudan in, in which human rights can be more adequately protected. And there are two uh, main reasons why, why this project failed. I think uh, it was already ill-conceived uh, because uh, there was a lack of uh, engagement with transitional justice issues. That has already been mentioned. I think it's worth recalling briefly that the two parties to the CPA actually wanted to include an amnesty provision, an explicit amnesty provision uh, in the agreement saying that uh, there should be an amnesty for any past violations and that would have included war crimes. The, uh, the negotiators then said you can't do that as a matter of international law and the subtext may have been at least not explicitly. So it was uh, omitted uh, and not uh, talked about any longer and I think the understanding was uh, that it wouldn't be raised by either of the parties. And I think that uh, displayed uh, a degree of impunity uh, that uh, was given to each other which is uh, in a way uh, uh, already cast a shadow on, on the un human rights understanding in the interim period of the Comprehensive Peace Agreement. Because instead of uh, transitional justice, uh, here we had a model, if you like, of a forward-looking uh, institutional uh, and legal reform of the system that was then meant to make uh, unity more attractive. And we have already heard that this has failed on several levels. Uh, we've been very engaged in, in the law reform efforts and uh, there have been a number of campaigns 
which have mobilized society and also engaged the public at large, but uh, which have had resulted in little uh, tangible outcomes. And I think one of the reasons for that is that, uh, especially after the death of Gerang, it became very clear that the North would strengthen its, uh, uh, sorry, the, the NCP would strengthen uh, its grip on the North and, and the South would uh, mainly focus uh, on achieving independence. So the, the power structures uh, very much remained intact. So you had an unreconstructed country, uh, which was not what the, um, the CPA had actually uh, initially envisaged. Uh, and uh, and this, uh, for me, uh, explains why that project has failed. And, and uh, I think the role of the international uh, actors, the various international actors, also quite critical here, because obviously one of the main policy objectives was not to jeopardize the referendum. And so I think what was clearly visible, during, especially during the elections, that uh, the various... Uh, uh, actors didn't push too hard uh, uh, to um, uphold and protect human rights, not only in the course of uh, uh, the um, election itself, uh, but also when it comes to some broader institutional challenge, uh, such as uh, the National Security Act. The reform was already mentioned. I remember, in I think in January, just a few months before the uh, uh, election, that was raised by, uh, by the US, actually, that uh, uh, the National Security Act should be uh, uh, reformed in, in line with the recommendations, but that was then, in the end, dropped and not taken up any further. So I think the, the referendum was clearly the price to be paid for, for the lack of transformation. So if you like, in the North, we're already facing a situation of, of dashed hope. Um, and when it comes to the future, uh, of human rights in the North, I think one of the overarching themes is really the the nature and constitutional makeup of the country, which has already been referred to. And there's a number of, of challenges in that regard. And the first one is obviously a, a series of conflicts, and, and Darfur uh, stands out here. Uh, obviously, there are some openings, I think, with... Uh, with uh, um, uh, independence of the South, if it is uh, to um, to come through, that uh, uh, there will be then maybe more space for a number of actors uh, in the peace process to raise their voices. And, and civil society uh, has already, uh, during the Doha negotiations, uh, been much more vocal in, in raising human rights concerns. So this is an encouraging development. Uh, another um, uh, interesting aspect is that the Mbeki panel, the African Union high-level panel on Darfur, has so far mainly engaged on the political side. Uh, but it has also uh, published a very strong report following uh, wide public consultations on peace and justice in Darfur and uh, Sudan as a whole. So there's a number of uh, recommendations that are still outstanding there, which relate uh, to legislative reforms um, then the setting up of a, a hybrid tribunal to bring those uh, responsible for the most serious crimes to, to justice and also reparations for the victims. <coughs> so this is really a possible entry point for broader transitional justice debates. Um, 
and we will see whether uh, whether um, uh, the African Union can can take up this point again because there are obvious concerns that this has been quietly dropped over time. The other um, uh, big uh, question that the Darfur conflict raises and all the others is obviously the, the constitutional status and the rights of the various regions. Uh, and this is, this is a, a question that, that we need to be addressed because it is at the heart of, of a number of conflicts. Another constitutional question is the, the position of minorities. <clears throat> we have already spoken quite a lot about uh, uh, the position of southerners in the north, uh, and the discussion has revolved mainly around uh, the dual nationality. But I think it, it goes much further than that, it, uh, because the underlying issues is really one of equality uh, and protection. And it, uh, so I think the, the southerners are just one of the more prominent groups there, and they may even become more prominent, but there are, there are many other others, if you like, to use sort of the postmodern parlance. Uh, those people whose, whose rights are not adequately recognized and protected in Sudan. So again, as an as a challenge both for uh, the, the new constitution, uh, but also for um, laws and institutions to, to really recognize in, in the daily operation. And that brings me to the, the question of uh, the constitutional review. That's a point that has been raised uh, increasingly by a number of people. Um, Obviously, the, the interim national constitution will come to an end, um, most probably in, in July, um, after, after the CPA expires. And then there will have to be a, a, a new constitution that can be the interim constitution <coughs> minus those parts that relate to, to the South, but it may also be a new constitution. So there is, a, there is scope for, for a broader constitutional debate. <coughs> Whether it's going to, to happen is, is still uh, very much up in the air, but it would be a very interesting debate because it would bring out some of the political challenges we talked about earlier on, um, both on, on the side of the government uh, to reinforce so the Sharia nature uh, of the North and also on the part of civil society uh, to raise uh, some of the, the many issues that have been left uh, unaddressed or not fully addressed during the interim period. And here one, one critical area is definitely uh, related to the right to, uh, to equality and women's rights, which have uh, formed uh, part of, of a series of campaigns over the years. The, the, latest, the latest enactment, if you like, uh, the outro caused by the uh, corporal punishment video a few months ago, but it's just one manifestation of, of many violations that have taken place over the years. Um, but all of these developments are to, to take place against the backdrop of uh, quite momentous uh, political and economic uh, challenges for the country. We've heard a lot about that during the first panel session, and I'm not going to speculate about uh, Developments here, because as we have all seen over the last months, that is uh, fairly unpredictable in the region. What is important from a human rights perspective is that this carries the potential of uh, of a number of uh, violations of 
political and civil rights, especially where civil society and other uh, political opposition groups try to articulate and exercise their rights, but also critically uh, violation of economic, social and cultural rights. And I think in the, in the, in the bigger debate, and that includes NGOs, uh, the economic, social and cultural rights have been a bit neglected. And this, uh, this applies both to the austerity measures now put in place, but also to a number of development projects, uh, land issues and resource issues. All of them have a clear uh, human rights dimension as well. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, to what degree also civil society groups and others in Sudan are able to, to take this up. And some of the communities have actually opposed uh, some, some of the bigger projects, but have, have then paid the price for that. <coughs> the situation in the South is obviously very different. Uh, from, a, from a human rights perspective, uh, uh, the new state would, would ideally seize the opportunity to commit itself to, to international human rights treaties and to, to monitoring mechanism. Mm -hmm as a first step and uh, I actually read uh, uh, in the paper this morning that uh, one uh, southern Sudanese official was asked whether that could actually include ratification of the ICC Rome statute and apparently he answered why not um, well I think there will be some serious repercussions if it comes to that that was rather laconic answer but we shall see so there, there are a number of, of interesting developments at that international relations throughout international law level. But then there are also obviously challenges uh, for the South itself in, in creating a political and economic environment in which human rights can be exercised. And I think there are three critical areas. The first one relates to conflict. One of the, the problems here is that uh, the transitional justice debate has also not really taken place uh, in the South apart from uh, some reconciliation measures. So the, the whole question of acknowledging past violations is still out there. And the problem is it will be a lopsided debate if it takes place without the North being involved in that. So uh, that is an additional challenge for any transitional justice uh, initiatives in the South. But I think they are still very much necessary. Uh, when it comes to civil and political rights, here it will be very critical to both develop the, uh, the infrastructure and the capacity of, of the various actors, that is uh, um, legislation, institutions, including the, the uh, uh, Human Rights Commission, but also to, to create a, a broader awareness of, of what uh, human rights should look like in, in practice, because we have a new state with, with no experience uh, where uh, uh, the, the Carlos, I was to say, have a military background, a lot of them. So that will, will uh, entail a sea change in attitude and, and for the public as a whole. Uh, and there's also a, a series of issues when it comes to economic, social and cultural rights, how to provide the, the basic uh, um, rights for, for the whole of, of the South on an, on an equitable basis. So that is, uh, these are some of the, the key challenges. Obviously the international actors uh, will play a critical role there. Um, Joanna has addressed most of the points there already really well. 
what I think is important for for uh, international actors is also to look at the North and South together when it comes to uh, human rights issues and not to focus too much on single events because that has been one of the problems in, in, in the past five years. It was, ah, now it's Darfur, now it's the election, now it's the referendum, and what is next? So there's always one milestone within the next six months and then the focus is on that. And there has been a lack of strategic uh, vision and I think obviously the fact that there is some uh, economic interdependence and also political between the, the North and the South should also then give uh, the international actors, including the African Union, some entry point to raise human rights concerns that, uh, that actually involve both countries and make them part of, of any such negotiations or arrangements. And that brings me to, to my final point which is that it is, will be very critical that uh, the, the northern and southern Sudanese civil actors really work together because I think there is, there is a lot of scope there to, to share experiences and to, to learn from each other and that is increasingly uh, uh, taking place from, from what I can hear even though there may be reluctance on, on the part of some and I just want to draw attention to, to a note of solidarity that was uh, sent by a number of uh, uh, Northern Sudanese uh, activists on the, on the eve of the referendum and I think that is the, the sort of gesture that is needed also to counter sort of any elite based uh, approaches to, to the future of Sudan because the, the legacy of, of human rights uh, violations uh, in, in the country, I think they are they are deep wound and uh, they will will be perpetuated if if they are not uh, addressed then uh, in in the next years in, in a more strategic uh, and, and collaborative manner, uh, both in the north and the south, but but also taking a more holistic view.